You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Horn Frogs. It's Monday, and I'm starting this by laughing because Matt Jennings is here with me. And he's a very gracious person, and I'm thankful for that. He's also a good friend of mine, which means that I can do things like this, and it's not a big deal. But um, we were talking, and we've been talking for about 15 minutes. It was good stuff. I mean, it was we we broke down the offense. We were about to get into the defense, and about the start of segment two, I realized that I hadn't hit record on the Zoom session, and. Matt was mid-thought, so I, I thought to myself, okay, well, I'll just hit record now, and then after this segment, I'll break the news to him, and we'll re-rack rec segment one, <laughs> and then my computer, like, froze on me and said, nope, so I just thought maybe it'd be better if we start over, so Matt, welcome to the show, and thank you for, uh, <laughs> thank you for doing this again for a second time. Hey, man, I, I, it was so good, it came back for seconds, it's all good. That's right, this is going to be so much better than the garbage that we were spewing um, earlier when I when I wasn't recording. Oh, I do. It was it was terrible. It was just the worst. Was this was going to be so much better. Yeah, it was. I, I do want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. You can go to uh, builtbar.com and use the promo code Locked On and get twenty percent off your next order. So, wh- what we were talking about actually at the beginning of this episode, I think, was interesting. And TCU wins thirty four eighteen against Texas Tech. It's another win. You're three and three. You've got three games left. Feel pretty good about themselves. They're running the ball very well. Uh, Max Duggan had an incredible game on the ground, 154 yards, but he did not throw the ball much. Um, he only had 73 yards passing. They didn't really attempt to throw the ball much. And, Matt, we were sort of getting into just because of what they're doing on offense right now, what they're, it seems like they're trying to accomplish is is there something up with his health and we don't know we're speculating because we don't have sources and we don't report on this team but it's just very curious that a guy that we we're really excited about his passing ability going into the year and early in the season looked like he was doing that well is suddenly turned into like a wishbone quarterback here midway through the season yeah I think it's a really this is a really good point that you brought up when we were texting about this game yesterday and I think it's a it's something that's definitely worth asking the question of 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 where is Max Duggan at with his health because it has been such a sharp, drastic turn in terms of what the offense has been doing the last two weeks relative to early on the season and especially like the first few weeks against like Iowa State and against Texas where they were really spreading the ball around they were pushing the ball downfield some and they were and and they were doing some what you would think of some typical air raid things on offense and we've complained a lot this season about them you know maybe being a little bit conservative and you know playing for for ball control more than they should but these last two weeks has been a different level it's been two weeks in a row where they've run the ball at least uh they've uh, run the ball at least 40 times and two weeks in a row when they've thrown the ball uh 20 uh, fewer than 25 times which for a sunny cumbie doug meacham offense is very very low and on saturday against texas tech Uh, Max Duggan only threw for 73 yards, averaged uh, 3.2 yards per attempt, uh, yards per pass, uh, had an interception on his first pass of the game, you know, 11 of 23. It's just not, 
the performance that we expected from him, especially again, given the way he looked early on in the season. So I think it's what causes that really drastic change. And I was saying this to you, uh, the first time we did this, and let's have this conversation again. The last time that I remember them doing a game plan like this was with Grayson Mulestein back in 2018, back when he had to take over when Sean Robinson was hurt and Mike Collins was hurt. And he took over as the start. He took over midway through the Baylor game and, as the, and he started against Oklahoma State, started in the Cheez-It Bowl. And they actually got really creative out of necessity on offense because they were trying to manufacture yards however they could so they and we're seeing a lot of that same stuff now right lots of motion lots of pre-snap window dressing uh wide receiver uh, sweeps you know quentin johnston uh had that easy touchdown run against texas tech on on an end around uh and lots of designed quarterback runs all of duggan's touchdowns his three uh his three rushing touchdowns against texas tech came on either designed quarterback runs or or on option plays right and so it's very they've again I think by necessity if there is something up with Max Duggan's health whether I have no idea what that is whether it's a rib shoulder arm I don't know something that affects his ability to push the ball downfield or or, or be as accurate as he needs to be but doesn't keep him from being able to run the ball because he had a you know they're running outside zone with him they're doing it they scored on an inverted veer he scored on a, just a QB ISO um, play that was that last touchdown where it was like that was not an option play that was a straight up design run where he's supposed to you know they use the wide receiver motion to get the defense moving one one way and he just takes it right up the middle you know and that's all by design and that's all again putting in different wrinkles to get the defense out of position which is fun and I'm glad that they're mm-hmm. being creative and, and, and doing some different things. It's just odd that the way they're choosing to be creative is in the interest of running the ball 40 times in a game when it just doesn't seem like that's the identity of this offensive staff as we talked about at length so far this season. So to your point, like we don't know anything for certain, but it would not be out of character for Gary Patterson at all to just not tell anybody when he's got a major contributor who uh is is dealing with some sort of injury that affects the game plan i mean in 2013 you know they walked off the field after the baylor game the last game of the season and gary patterson gets up on the podium he's like oh yeah jason red's been playing with a torn labrum for like a month or two months or however long it had been um and and like we had known that jason Brett something was up like he missed one game and he had we knew there was some sort of injury there but we didn't know what it's just very it would be very on brand for Gary to do something like that. It's just, you don't usually see that with the quarterback and you don't usually see it resulting in someone completely retooling their offense. Well, and, and one thing that, that raised my eyebrows was he, Gary addressed this issue in the post game presser without being asked about it. He just said in his opening statement, it was actually the first thing he said, well, let me just say this to you, offensive wise and passing wise, we took what they gave us. They're not going to let us throw the ball uh, we took what they gave us. We did enough to win. And it's not unusual for Gary to sort of identify what he thinks the burning question might be going into a presser and then hit it at the beginning as sort of a way of saying, hey, don't ask me about this. Here's what I have to say about it. But it's just odd that, you know, he would he would go after – that in the first statement and they tried to take some shots early in that game. I mean, they went to Quentin Johnson, they went to Blair Conright 
the first pass of the game was intercepted, first play of the game, and then the the Quentin catch, non-catch, that was a 50-50 call. I think he had possession of it, and because it was incomplete on the field, that's probably how it stayed. But I don't get to look at the All-22, so I can't say with 100% certainty that what Gary's saying is not true. Um, I just feel like if you're an offense and passing is a big part of what you want to do, then you have to figure out how to do it effectively even when the defense is trying to stop it. And it just seems like the last couple of weeks, Matt, it's either passes behind the line of scrimmage or back shoulder fades. And that's like the only thing in these in this route tree at this point. Yeah, they've definitely moved away from – some of the stuff, you know, some of the more vertical passing concepts that we saw them doing early on in the year that were really, really promising, um, particularly with the tight ends, right? Um, you know, I remember Artavius Lynn had that, and I know it, the, the latest reporting that he's not, uh, you know, he's probably mm-hmm. out for the year, um, but when he was available and then, and then also with Bro Wells and, and just them, I remember against Iowa State, Lynn had that long rumbling touchdown just on a seam route, you know, and, and just like not using – the full width of the field and not attempting to really attack the defense vertically is definitely what we're seeing the last couple of weeks with, with the exception of just one or two shots a game. And to your point, it's just very odd that Gary would come out and try and like, you know, head off that question before anyone can ask it. When according to the broadcasters in the booth during the game, Jerry kill had said in the lead up to the game had told everyone, Hey, yeah, we want to take some vertical shots in this game. Um, so I don't know if that was just, um, just coach speak to to Mm -hmm. to feed to the media and just say without really meaning it or if they've just realized over the last two weeks that it's just not something that they are able to do it's unclear to me um to your point about like okay so what do you do in in terms of like when a defense is trying to stop you from doing something i think one thing that they should definitely look at if they want to be this you know run the ball 40 times a game kind of offense that's fine but i think one of the benefits of doing that is it really sets up play action really well. And they should really look into doing that because if they're mm-hmm. going to be a team where the defense has to account for uh, the quarterback in the running game. And so you have one extra offensive player that you have to account for in the running game at all times. And you're slowly like sucking the defense up as they, as they have to approach the line of scrimmage and respect that run game that creates one-on-one matchups. It allows you to get defenders out of position with play action. And when you take that one or two shots a game, maybe you get, you, you get a more favorable matchup. Maybe you get Quentin Johnston more open running free down the field. And that allows you to create some big plays that gives you some more separation and just some more cushion against your, uh, against your opponent, as opposed to yesterday where they got up and then Texas Tech, start, Texas Tech starts creeping back into the game and you don't have a way to answer it because you don't have a way to create explosive plays except for obviously Duggan reels off that 80 yarder to, uh, to the end to ice it. But that's not something that you can count on like, oh, like well, now let's just run the 80 yard uh, mm-hmm. quarterback touchdown play. That's what we're going to do. No, that that's right. This is this is something that we question if they can replicate it, and we'll get into that uh, coming up in a minute. I also want to get Matt's thoughts on the defense who played really well and did their job. Uh, but first, I want to tell you for the second time tonight, but the first time you're hearing it about Coors Light. It's Monday. It's not the weekend anymore, but I'm sure you're already thinking about what you're going to do this coming weekend. Maybe what you're going to do tonight when you get a chance to 
to chill out and hang out. And I want you to know that Coors Light is the drink that's made to chill. So when you get that uninterrupted me time, whether it's later this evening or later this week, why don't you grab a cold Coors Light? It's cold lagered, cold brewed. It's literally made to chill. Um, whatever sport you're watching, if you're going to tune into Monday Night Football tonight, it's a great drink to have uh, nearby. It's the one I choose when I want to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, uh, reach for the beer that's made to chill. And here's a really cool thing. You can get Coors Light sent straight to your door if you want. If you go to getcoorslight.com, again, that's getcoorslight.com. Please remember to celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Segment two of the Locked on Horn Frogs podcast. Stephen Simcox and Matt Jennings here with you. Matt joins us every Monday, and we're thankful for his time. So I don't want you guys to think that we're just all negative about this. I mean, they did win the game, and that's important, and they've won two in a row now, and that's good. The One of the questions we have is, so you can beat Tech like this. You can beat um, Baylor like this. You can probably beat KU like this. But you got a couple of games left against West Virginia and Oklahoma State where I, I feel like you're going to have to be able to pass the football a little bit and do some different things. And, Matt, you brought up when we weren't recording um, this issue of capitalizing on opportunities. And having a short field is actually something that TCU hasn't had the benefit of a lot this year. Like, it's it's been very few and far between. But against Tech, they got some good plays on special teams. Defensively, they were able to keep them pinned deep for most of the game. So they had the ball on the plus side of 50 a lot, and it did not result in uh, in touchdowns. Yeah, it was it was tough to watch at times. And this has not been just – this has not been a problem that's been unique to this season. It's really been their issue. We've been going on like three years now. Uh, this is uh, uh, from Jamie Plunkett from Frogs of War. TCU started drives from the Texas Tech 39, 33, 32, 22, and 14 yesterday. And in those, four, in those five drives, they scored – one touchdown um it's it's just it that's not something that you can sustain and expect to win games right when you get Mm -hmm. those opportunities you have to take advantage of them and and that i think is the biggest thing for this offense philosophy wise you know i i know i've been very vocal in saying like i think they should go fast i think they should spread the ball out i think they should push the ball vertically down the field because i think it's what their personnel is best suited for Mm -hmm. but honestly you can run whatever kind of offense you want to run it, as long as it works. That's the thing is like they've been able to move the ball and get first downs to a certain degree when they need to and, uh, and sustain drives when they need to. The issue has been finishing those drives and getting seven instead of three. And that to me is the, is the thing that's going to be the difference for this team if they want to pull off upset bids against West Virginia against uh, against Oklahoma State two teams that if if yesterday is any if if this week is any indication against uh, Texas for West Virginia and against Kansas State for Oklahoma State those are teams that certainly can be can look beatable right Mm -hmm. Oklahoma State's defense is great but for the first time in a while their offense looks really lost and West Virginia uh, and Jared Dagey at quarterback is doing the best he can, but they but they're struggling with turnovers. They're struggling with moving the ball consistently. Those are games that if your offense can capitalize on opportunities, you don't need that many. But if you can capitalize on the opportunities that you get, 
maybe you can steal a win there and maybe you can get over 500 this season, which when you're, you were sitting here at one and three, two weeks ago, looked impossible. And now if you can, if you win the games you're supposed to from here on in, if you're, if you beat KU and then you take one of those two games, and you can finish five and four after the way this season started, you feel really good. Mm. Um, and, and that's something I think is possible. Cause again, this, I'm not, I'm not crapping on the offense on the offensive staff right now at all. Cause I do like the fact that they've been creative and, and done some different things over the last two weeks, but you have to finish drives. And that's the thing that's been the hurdle that they have not been able to get over for a while now. Well, and the reality is, I mean, in, in 2020, what, what you do on offense between the twenties, I don't want to say it's useless, but it, it doesn't really, like you can stack up yards all you want, but if you don't punch in touchdowns and it doesn't really matter, I know like Parker from purple theory always makes it a point to tweet out like field goals or failures. And in this conference and in modern college football, there's, there's a lot to that. And you brought up something earlier that I thought was a good point. You know, they've stumbled upon something again, like Darius Davis is a really good punt returner. And that's something that this program's had for a number of years, whether it be Rager or Turpin or um, Cam Eccles Looper or Brandon Carter, even going back to like Jeremy Curley. But those sort of momentum swings of getting really good field position from a punt block or a punt return or a turnover, it's almost like you're giving it the emotional swing right back when you don't score a touchdown when you only get three because it feels like for the opposing defense it feels like a win because they say okay well we got it we got we're bad situation we got out of here basically you know unscathed yeah it's it's something that you have to do a better job taking advantage of because it's not something that you can't expect to happen all the time right and so Mm -hmm. when you get those spots where you get that highly favorable field position it is uh it is you know a loss both I, to your point, kind of emotionally and psychologically, but statistically, um, you know, you start a, the, if you have a first down inside your opponent's 40, that red, that's a scoring opportunity. And that is, and if you have a scoring opportunity, those should be seven rather than three more often than not. If you're, if you're doing what you need to do and you're being successful, um, how you do that, uh, again, we talked about this in the last segment, but uh, utilizing some more play action so you can, uh, and maybe creating some more chunk plays using that, um, and just getting your best players on the field. I think they've done a good job getting Zach Evans out there last uh, the last couple weeks, who I think is a difference maker. Um, Darius Davis making a difference on special teams. I'd love to see him get some more targets on offense because he's a mm-hmm. he he has the ability to make big plays in the open field uh, and make guys miss. I don't know why Savion Williams can only touch the ball as a kick returner, and it's almost <laughs> always he's just forced to, 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 to take a knee in the end zone for a touchback. Um, but the man, like, you know, he and – as we talked about last week, he and Quentin Johnston were, like, the big, the big gets at receiver in this last year's class. And, and Johnston's getting out there on the field. Other than Tay Barber, there's no one else at receiver who's really stepped up so, uh, and, and made big plays so far. So give guys like Savion Williams – and uh and some of these other younger guys you know uh even from this uh, freshman class where that's caleb medford and and some other dudes a chance to get out there and and show what they can do because right now johnson and barbara are your only difference makers at receiver and you need some more than that 
Yeah, it's it's an issue. I mean, I don't want this program to become the uh, like the program of wasting NFL receiver talent. I just feel like. <laughs> Like LSU was for much of the Les Miles to, uh, era. Like, it's like, oh, man, yeah, yes. he's really good. And then it's like, oh, Jarvis Landry and Odo Beckham are actually very, very good. Or even, like, Alabama to a point. I mean, I, I think of, like, Julio Jones, who was a really good player in college, but then he gets to the NFL and it's like, oh, he's he's the best wide receiver in the league. And they've just had these bus driver quarterbacks for years. And, and those are programs that were winning, you know, consistently. And the frustrating thing about – the Frogs last few years is it's a down year combined with that, but um, whether it's Rager or, you know, they're, they're making an effort to get Quentin involved. So I'm not as worried about that, but yeah, you mentioned Savion, Darius Davis. Um, I guess we can just give up on JD Spielman. I, I don't know. I mean, I know he's been injured the last couple of weeks and now you got three games left. So I don't, I think the idea that he's going to come in and make a huge impact is sort of for not. And uh He's another guy that apparently could only touch the ball on, on special teams. So that's, that's not what you want your program to be is just having a bunch of weapons, but not being able to find ways to use them effectively. No, for sure. And uh, you know, I think the thing that's frustrating about it is we've seen there is a body of work to suggest that that does not have to be the way it is with Mm -hmm. Sonny Comey and Doug Meacham, because we saw in their first stint here at TCU, they got everybody involved, Josh Johnson and Colby Listenby and David Porter and uh, Ty Flanina and Deontay Gray and Gamonte Turpin and, 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 you know, Des White, Sean Nixon, just keep going down the list. Um, and so it's just very odd for them to not be able to do that. And maybe that does go to right now, they're limited both with their offensive line play and their quarterback play. I will say the offensive line play has looked better the last couple of weeks. It's not a high mm-hmm. bar. Um, especially since they're playing against some less amazing defenses with Texas Tech and Baylor. Um, but they definitely look better, um, uh, over, especially with TJ Storm and starting at left tackle. So that, some, some positives to build off of, for sure. I, I want to ask Matt about the defense, for sure. So I, I want to get into that next and also, um, you know, clean up a few things from, from Saturday as well. But first, I want to tell you about Built Bar. And Built Bar is really cool because it's helped me out a lot. I love snacks, and I also love things that are fried and, like, have cheese on them, like cheddar peppers or mozzarella sticks, which is not the healthiest choice. But Built Bar is a good snack, and it's healthy. It's a great two-for-one. They have some amazing flavors like cookies and cream, caramel brownie, carrot cake, almond apple crisp, um, raspberry, German chocolate, and peanut butter. And I was telling you about the health benefits. It's 180 calories. It's only five grams of sugar, 18 grams of protein. So if you have a long work shift ahead or you just need something in the afternoon that you don't feel like is going to be 500 to 600 calories, try Built Bar today. And if you go to uh, BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKDOWN, you can get 20% off your next order. So go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKDOWN for 20% off your next order. Final segment on a Monday. Really appreciate Matt's time. Love talking to him. Don't forget, you can hit subscribe if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcast. And you can also review me on Apple Podcasts. And if you give me five stars, that's a really cool thing uh, for you to do. And I'd appreciate it if you enjoy the show, if you throw me that bone and let me know um, what you like or what you don't like about the pod. You can follow me on Twitter at SimcockSteven and the show at at LockedOnTCU. And Matt's a good follow as well, at Matt A. Jennings, especially on Saturdays. 
during the fall. So, Matt, TCU defense holds T- Texas Tech to 18 points. It felt like they only had, like, three bad plays in that game. They still gave up two touchdowns because, I mean, it's just sort of how they operate. But I do think they played great, and I'm not going to complain a lot, aside from, uh, you know, what C.J. Caesar and his struggles and his first real action in college, um, just missing on a couple plays and whiffing on a couple plays. But let's talk about this defensive line because they have suddenly come alive. We saw O'Shawn Mathis get to the quarterback this week. Um, Patrick Jenkins and Corey Burkett look great. They've got some young guys contributing. This is starting to uh, feel like a, a vintage Gary Patterson defense that can that can get after the passer and, and force him into some bad throws. Yeah, they look so much better the last two weeks. You take it with a little bit of a grain of salt – not the best sample because Baylor and Texas Tech have their issues on offense. Baylor, mm-hmm. because, you know, they're, they, they really look like they don't know what they want to do, what their, what their identity is. Charlie Brewer, we talked about his issues last week. And then Texas Tech is, uh, you know, uh, Henry Columbi, uh, his, his internal clock was not, is not where it needs to be right now. He holds onto the ball a little bit too long. I think that contributed to the sack numbers as well. But still, five sacks is not an insignificant number. And it wasn't all uh, just like Columbia holding on the ball too long. A couple of them were just like great pass rush moves, um, great speed rushes. Um, O'Shawn Mathis had three sacks and I was like, what planet am I on? Uh, so good for him. Um, finally capitalizing a little bit on the, on the potential that Gary Patterson has been talking about for a year and a half. Yeah. They look a whole lot better. We talked about Patrick Jenkins and Earl, Bar- Earl Barquette last week. Um, again, I say, play your good players. Um, they, they look really good uh, to, to freshmen who I think should be getting more snaps. They look a whole lot better. I think you're right. I think it, it took them a while to kind of gel um, but, uh, and, and, and figure out what they were doing, but they are, they are getting better. Kari Coleman has looked great um, and has kind of solidified himself as a starter at the offensive end. So they're doing a lot better job getting after the quarterback. Last week against Baylor, it was like, oh, well, Baylor's offensive line is bad. This week against Texas Tech, I'm not sure Texas Tech's offensive line is good, but they're certainly better than Baylor's was. And they and the you know they made a point of talking on the broadcast. They've played, I think they had played. They had the same starting lineup all season. Like they had had a lot of snaps together. You thought that that was a line that was going to do a better job protecting the quarterback. And and to to put forth that performance against that group, I think is significant. Uh, I don't know how significant yet, but I think it's a, I think it's certainly significant for a, for a group that has really struggled getting after the passer so far this season for sure. It's a huge step forward. Uh, it's worth noting they do have some injury issues at corner right now. They're real thin. Um, Travis Hodges Tomlinson had to leave that game. He was banged up. Keon Stewart did not play and don't really know the extent of his injuries, but hopefully they can get those guys back next week and you have some more experience in that secondary. Um, go, yeah, go ahead, Matt. No, you know, you're, 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 uh, you're totally fine. And, and, and I want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of talking about corners, talking about CJ Caesar, if the worst thing that happened in that game, you know, they, Texas Tech scored 18 points, 15 mm-hmm. of those points came on two plays, uh, two busted coverages by a, uh, by an underclassman corner making his first start ever. Um, if that's the worst thing that happens to you and you still end up winning by 15, you're feeling pretty good. And so, um, so I think you're feeling in, in pretty good shape after that game defensively at all three levels. I think, uh, you know, I, I think the Trey Tomlinson injury is important because I think he, before that had really kind of 
he stepped in, he had kind of stepped in pretty seamlessly to that number one corner role uh, with Noah Daniels out. And he's been doing a really good job and, and, and making plays on the ball and playing good coverage. So they need, they need him healthy. So hopefully we'll see uh, what's going on with him soon and he'll be able to get back out there on the field. But on the whole, uh, I, I think it was a really great performance by them, by the secondary as a whole. Trevon Merrig, like, let's just all enjoy watching Trevon Merrig play football mm-hmm. because he guy's going to be like a top 20 pick in the draft next year. And um, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe higher. I don't know. So, uh, you know, just uh, had the game ceiling interception. Uh, while our Darius Washington, I think, has had a really quiet season thus far. And I was expecting a little bit more from him. Trevon Merrick has been uh, exactly as advertised and just has, like, covered guys, you know, uh, so well all season. Has really been a lockdown uh, coverage guy at safety. Um, They've got a lot of talent there, and it's finally showing up um, in a big way here as we kind of head down the stretch again against some some less some lackluster competition, but it's still worth noting. Also, D. Winters is a problem. That's that's my yeah. only note. D. Winters is is great. Um, he's the he is, I think this perfect combination of TCU's defenses usually have one of these guys every year, which is a guy who's just like this perfect combination of swagger and execution. A guy who's just like in the right place all the time and just plays assignments and also just like plays with an attitude. Like he's getting up after making tackles and just like jawing and talking and, and he's backing all of it up and it's really fun to watch. No, he's great. I was going to mention him uh, cause he is so explosive and fast and hits people with a purpose. And it's funny you mentioned Merrick because he, he is a monster and there was one point in that broadcast and I don't know who was doing the game. I thought, especially the color commentator had a really rough day, but I, I don't like to usually complain about TV broadcasts, but it was just, you know, it was one of those things. Um, but at one point the play-by-play guy was talking about, well, TCU supposedly has these amazing safeties, but they've given up, you know, like this many deep passes. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not how they play defense at all. Like if, yeah, if they were, if they were like sitting in cover two all the time, then that would be a, a valuable stat, but they're usually locked up in man coverage on their own sort of on an island themselves but you know just one of those things like please please watch some tape before you say things like that that don't really have anything to do with with what they're asked to do well and 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 those deep passes more often than not again i think our darius washington has taken a small step back this year i think some of those is i I think that comes through with some of those big plays but i think they're at that corner is more of is more of the issue there. I think uh, people were picking on Trey Tomlinson and Keon Stewart earlier on in the year uh, and kind of thrown away from Noah Daniels and now Noah Daniels is hurt. And then Keon Stewart is now hurt, which means again, CJ Caesar's out there. Um, and I think they've got a lot of talent at that position, but it's unproven talent so far. And it's talent that uh, is being asked again, because of the nature of Gary's defense, where as a corner, most of the time you're going to be, um, you're going to be in man coverage if you're if you're uh, and all by yourself if you're taking your if you're following your receiver further than ten yards downfield you're on your own mm-hmm. and so yeah that's a that's a tough thing to ask of a guy who's making his first start and so uh, I think those criticisms while legitimate are more to your point context is super important in terms of who's making those plays or not making those plays and what they're being asked to do. Um, but yeah, I think on the whole, the secondary is playing really, really well, um, all things considered. Uh, again, with the exception of two long pass plays, they had Columbia really just locked down for most of the day. And it's, uh, it's encouraging to see. And 
there's not really a quarterback left on the schedule who I think scares you left. Not that there's not guys who are talented and can make big plays, but mm-hmm. here's my hot take about the big 12 this year. I'm not sure any quarterback in the big 12 this year, any of them are very good. There are guys who I think can make individual plays, but you just watch, you know, you have a lot of guys who have a lot of talent, but are really inconsistent, whether that's Spencer Sanders and, uh, and uh, Spencer Rattler. Um, you've got guys who are just kind of stopgap solutions, whether that's Jared Dagey. You have guys like Brock Purdy, who we saw in the first game of the season, made some amazing plays and also makes some of the most <laughs> boneheaded. I don't, I can't believe he just did that kind of plays. Yeah. And so uh, I think that is, you know, goes in the defense's favor as you go down the, as you go down the stretch of the season. Um, and maybe, you know, again, this suddenly five and four doesn't seem so absurd. If you can steal one of those games against West Virginia and Oklahoma state, uh, you can just take one of those after a one and three start. I think you take that every day of the week. Yeah, I think you do too. I feel like if you end up five and four, you feel pretty good. If you, if you end up four and five and Kansas is the only game you win, then you, you don't really feel great, but it, it's understandable sort of, the way the schedule broke and how the season started. One more thing before we get you out of here. So Tech is down nine and they're driving and there's a little under three minutes left. And I'm starting to get a little nervous because, I mean, they score a touchdown there and all of a sudden all they need is a field goal to win. And there was still time, I felt like, to score and kick it deep and use your timeouts. But instead – Matt Wells decides to kick a field goal on second and four. And I mean, I get like you're trying to score as soon as possible, but I just felt like it was a big mistake because I think you've got to get the touchdown when you can, because that's the harder score to get. And there's still so much time on the clock and their kicker had, had not made a field goal coming in this game. Now he did hit one before halftime and that was his first one of the season. But just uh, a bizarre decision that effectively ended the game uh, by missing that field goal and and still being down two scores. It was the most bizarre coaching decision, certainly that I saw this weekend and maybe that I've seen this season. I've heard of coaches doing that. Let's, Let's give full context here. Texas Tech faced a second and four in the red zone on the TCU 19 yard line. All three timeouts left and two minutes and 48 seconds left in the game. I've heard of guys like, let's go ahead and kick the field goal like in overtime or when the field goal is going to put you ahead or tie the game late in the fourth quarter um, like, and, and go ahead and kick it on third down, right? Um, because like then you like protect yourself if like there's a botch snap or something, you can fall on it, you can try again. Um, but doing it on second and four when you have all the time, in, again, three, they've got 248 and three timeouts left. You've got all the time in the world in college football. And you like to kick the, you like to get the field goal when you hadn't made a single field goal coming into this game. <laughs> you made a 40 yarder earlier in the game. So that's worth noting, but it is just the weirdest decision I've ever seen. I, I don't understand it. Um, yeah, I think you go for the, for the, you go for the touchdown there. And especially since you, I think momentum in college football is largely made up, but if you believe in momentum, you had the momentum there, uh, in that, like you had been eating into TC's lead. It was just very, very weird. 
I don't know what to make of it. Matt Wells has not ingratiated himself to the Texas Tech fan base with his game, with his game management. Um, you know, they had a chance to put away Texas uh, in their, in one of the first games of the season and, you know, you know, choke that lead away. And they just, the, uh, I, I don't know what's going on in Lubbock, but uh, hey, TCU got the win. So it's not much to complain about from that perspective, but it was the, it was a super weird decision. And I say that as a Falcons fan who has watched some really bizarre and bad <laughs> game management decisions over the last few years. And I was still honestly impressed. Yeah. It's uh, it's still so early in the Matt Wills era, but, and he doesn't have his guys yet. And all, all the things you can say about somebody in a year and a half of coaching a program but they, they just they do a lot of stupid stuff. Like there were a lot of dumb penalties yesterday that I was just like, man, this does not seem like a well coached football team. And I know they've had injuries and bench people have been benched and that kind of thing, but um it, it does not look good right now for them. Well, yeah, and and when you talk about penalties, but like discipline in general, like why do you end up you know, a blocked punt in that game, uh mm-hmm. really failing to even uh uh, having penalties that that wipe out possible first downs, failing to move the ball at all, especially there in that first quarter, and just like repeatedly getting pinned back against your own goal line and having to punt from there and giving your opponent a short field, like those are all things where it's just like you have to demonstrate like a baseline level of competency <laughs> um, mm-hmm. at some point, and they're not doing it. And um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you, you year two is probably too early to make that call, especially in a pandemic year. I think there's probably a moratorium on all judgments about all coaches right now. Um, doesn't mean that schools aren't still going to make them though. And, uh, you know, Tech's got to figure something out here down the stretch. If, if Matt Wells wants to uh, avoid getting a strangely early ax at Texas Tech is my, in my uninformed opinion. Matt, I appreciate this, man. And I did want to say before we go, congratulations to TCU soccer. I want to talk about this more tomorrow, but they won a Big 12 title on Friday against West Virginia. Uh, Grace Collins had a goal, and they won one nothing. got another shutout. So um, great job by Eric Bell and his staff to get that done. Please listen tomorrow. Please subscribe. Thank you, to listen. Thank you for listening to Lockdown Horn Frogs. And, Matt, uh, thanks for doing this two times tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. No problem. Hey, TCU is a football school. Uh, so go Big 12 champs. That's right. Football and rifle, baby. That's uh, we are. We are an Olympic sport powerhouse in these parts. <laughs> we'll talk to you tomorrow. Lockdown Horn Frogs, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.